0: Same survival mode that tells you if you hear a gunshot run, tells you in order to get back to the dock safely, you have to pull for each other. And when you do that, it becomes a sport of meditation before a sport of competitiveness. And so, what the sport is doing is calming the daily storms that you go through every single day.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Everyday Endorphins. You just heard from Arshay Cooper. Arshay is an activist, a rower, and an award-winning author of the book, A Most Beautiful Thing, which was then adapted into the critically acclaimed documentary film, which is such an incredible watch. I had the pleasure to sit down with Arshay and speak about his experience being a part of the first black high school rowing team. Which was a huge accomplishment in and of itself, given that the sport of rowing is historically white, dominated, and a very privileged sport. To give you a little bit of a background, if you're new to the podcast, or if you don't really know me at all, I used to do crew in high school, so I... Very well acquainted with the world of rowing, or at least I was for my four years in high school, and clearly rowing is very near and dear to my heart. So I'm really excited to have this episode be published today. And in our conversation, Arshay and I talk all about what it was like to grow up in the west side of Chicago, the importance of bringing representation into the sport of rowing, some of the lessons that he's taken away through being an athlete, and just how rowing is so uniquely positioned to bring a lot of calm and peace into your life, oddly enough. (laughs) Because if you are a rower, you know that it's one of the most physically painful experiences you can put yourself through. And, you know, aside from all of that, Arshay and I just had a really great conversation on what he's doing now with the most beautiful thing inclusion fund and how he's really working to give back to underserved communities and give them the opportunity that he was able to have in high school and how rowing really did change his life so it's a really inspiring story today and I hope you all enjoy this episode before we get into it I have a brief message from my sponsor anchor Hi, Arshay. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast.
0: Hey, thanks, Stella. Uh, I'm excited to be on.
1: I recently watched A Most Beautiful Thing. It was an incredible documentary. I, I guess we can start there because that is really centered around our whole conversation today with rowing and mental health and bringing more equity into the sport of rowing. So before we kind of dive into that, could you give my listeners a little bit of a background on who you are, what a most beautiful thing is, and you know what you're up to these days.
0: I live in New York now, but from Chicago. Our story really is based on an, an all-black rowing team in the '90s on the west side of Chicago that really got together a group of young men who honestly hated each other at first and and became a brotherhood. And I know we'll get more in, into that. But how the power of the sport. Um, really changed our lives and, and, and um, created a bond that that, that lasts forever. And that's what Rowan does. And, you know, many years later, I wrote a book on the story called The Most Beautiful Thing. And the book did very well. And this woman named Mary Mazia, who was a, an Olympic rower in the 90s, read the story and uh, reached out to me on, t- on Twitter. And was like, hey. I love the story, and and I saw that she was a filmmaker, and she did some really great film. Mostly, her films uh, really touch on social impact. And so, you know, I said, "Hey, you should come to Chicago and see what it's really like to to be there." And um, you know, as she called up some friends like Gret Hill, then we got a hold of Common. And we got hold of Dwayne Wade and then the Winklevoss twins. They got a really...
1: Amazing. You had like an amazing crew, like production team behind this. I mean, Dwayne Wade, the Winklevosses. Yeah, we
0: had a really great all-star cast and it was awesome. And from day one filming, it's been a blast. And not only has it been a blast, like the impact that it made. And this country and outside of this country has been awesome.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was so moved by the documentary. And I love also how you wrote a book about this experience. What better way to really capture something and hold on to it forever than getting it down on paper and seeing something that you've personally experienced come to fruition and come to life and something that you can share with others, I think is so beautiful. And I know you mentioned that you grew up in the west side of Chicago. That's really where this story Takes place. Can you talk a little bit more about what that experience was like growing up in the West Side of Chicago? Prior to this documentary, I didn't really know a lot about that area of Chicago, and I quickly learned a lot about what it was like to live there. And I would love for you to just talk a little bit more about your background and and the environment that you were raised in and how that kind of uh, was transformed through the sport of rowing.
0: Yeah. So, again, the West Side of Chicago is a place where, you know, talent is everywhere, but access and opportunity is not. I mean, for every young person who grew up like I did, you grew up hearing gunshots when you sleep, right? You've been chased, you lost friends to gang violence, Um, you ran for your life, you skip over pools of blood, you experience what some soldiers have experienced in war, but before you're 15 years old. And, and there's no treatment. There's no resources to a trauma counselor or even social workers on the west side of Chicago. And so, when you are on your way to school and and really just trying to be safe and survive, by the time you get there, learning is out the door because you're think now you're thinking about how I'm going to get home, you know. And and I, to be honest, that trauma on the west side of Chicago didn't start in the '90s. If anyone knows the history of Chicago, especially the West side, it was built on trauma. A lot of families uh, moved to the West side of Chicago and escaped the South because friends were hung on a tree or families was lynched during the Jim Crow segregation era in the South. And these families have seen a lot. My grandmother was one of them, right? She She's in her 90s and she's alive and well, but she still talk about the smell of burning crosses, right? And and, um, and so when she moved to Chicago, she had a lot of trauma and there was no resources to talk about that. And my mother would say I lost my mother to her trauma uh, and that trauma is, is racism. You know, my mother pretty much raised herself and experienced a lot herself and, you know, and she turned to drugs. And so growing up for me, you know, I've never said the word dad a day in my life. My mother was on drugs and brothers in gangs and and and. and I went to a school that was surrounded by gangs. And uh, and all I remember is this one day, knowing in my, you know, saying to myself that there has to be something better, like there has to be something better. Not a great basketball player or football player, but there has to be something else out there for me. And then I remember just walking in the lunchroom and, and I saw that this boat and, uh, and, and the light came on in my eyes. <laughs>
1: I mean, how odd is that that there's a rowing boat in the middle of the lunchroom? How did that even get there?
0: I didn't. even I never even seen a boat. And I was like, what? <laughs> I, what the and hell? They're also
1: this? very like peculiar boats too. It's not just like a regular boat, yes. you know. The shells are very, very particular.
0: Yes, it, it is. You know, it's thin and I'm like, and who in the hell going to get into this boat in the middle of Lake Michigan? You know, and, and it, it was it was funny though because, you know. Um, we didn't have a lot of white people working at our schools and then we saw this little white woman there in the lunchroom and she's like, you want to join the crew team? And I'm like, crew? Like, what is that? You're taught in Chicago if if someone asks you to join a crew, turn and run the other way as fast as you can. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, now there's so many gangs and crews now this little white lady at my school started a crew? What's happening here? You know, I was confused a little bit. Um, But she said, you know, come, come over by the boat and behind the boat They were showing, there was this TV monitor and they were showing the Olympic Games. And I looked and I was watching and it seemed like a great opportunity, but no one on that boat reflected the world I was used to or looked like the people I was used to seeing. So I said no to the opportunity right away. And a lot of people did. And and plus, I didn't even swim. And so I said no. And then um the next day uh, they had some Chicago pizza and I was like, okay, let's see what this is all about." <laughs>
1: they knew if they had free food and they had pizza they would get people hooked. I mean that's a really great point you bring up and there's not and there's a lack of representation it's an even harder uh you know battle you have to win over to to feel as if you're Uh, you know, represented in a certain sport or you can apply to anything into film, TV, modeling, whatever. It could be anything. And, you know, I think this is like a living example of the detriments of having a lack of representation, because think about how many people maybe would have been interested in joining the crew team if they felt like that they saw someone just like them on TV at the Olympics.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, And, you know, and the representation is just so important because the next day when I went up to the info session, I saw this black man and I was like, okay, it was was coach Victor. And the cool thing about this program is that he wasn't a rower, but he was a strength and conditioning coach. He was black and he knew the community. And so they brought him on the team. And a lot of people made their decision just based on that, on that. And a lot of parents who grew up in the South saw that someone who looks like them was there and said, okay, I will allow my son to try this out because he was there. Right. And, and you got to understand that some coaches were, was frustrated because, you know, parents are like, no, I don't want my kids doing this. And they're like, what, this is such a great opportunity. But remember that what these parents went through in the South, they're not just going to deliver their son to a space that's mostly white people. Right. And because of their experience. And so having coach Victor there and then having a female coach was awesome because most of us was raised by women. Most of our teachers were women. uh, And I felt like because I was a sensitive kid growing up that women got me in a way that most men didn't. And I felt more comfortable with them. So having a woman, a black man in leadership really helped me to feel comfortable being a part of this team.
1: I don't know if that was actually mentioned in the documentary because I remember hearing about like the two white male coaches that had kind of started that program. And one of them was definitely a character. Some of your teammates called him basically like borderline racist, which he probably was. But aside from all of that, I mean, that's kind of, those were the two coaches that I remember encountering in the documentary, like the two men coaches.
0: Yeah, that's why that's why I always say read the book
1: first. <laughs> yes, I I definitely should have read the book
0: first. <laughs> no, it's all good.
1: <laughs> you got me. You got me live on this interview. I should have read the book first. And that's also what my dad said. He was like, You gotta read the book. Um, but that's next on my reading list for sure. But I, I also I love that you, you know, talk about the two different, you know, types of representation that made you feel a bit more comfortable on the team. And joining the team. And w- when you came back, I guess, a second time and they had pizza and they, they got you guys hooked on the sport of rowing, what happened from there? I remember in the documentary, you talk about the first time you guys got out on the water and you said it was a feeling, a sense of peacefulness.
0: Yeah. So yeah, it was beautiful. I, so, you know, in the book, it, it, it kind of really, I kind of break down what happened before we got on that water. We spent a lot of time on the Eric Machine learning how to swim, some of us, and then we went to the tanks, which usually you do before you get in the water. When we got out there, the first time we was out there, we everyone freaked out. And you know, I'm talking I've never seen grown black game bangers cry. You know what I mean? It was crazy. And um, but the second time we went out there and, and you know, and we we learned a lot from being on the erg machine and sitting in the tanks and really the, you know, the words of our coaches, but I think the first experience is that you, we started rowing in pairs and you are, even when you are just at way enough, when you're sitting there, you know, holding the boat steady, the boat is cradling you in a way that you have probably never been cradled before as a kid. And that was soothing. But then once everyone started to join in and you're following the person in front of you, and you are starting to develop this magical rhythm. And the same survival mode that tells you, if you hear a gunshot run, tells you in order to get back to the dock safely, you have to pull for each other. And you have to follow the person in front of you. And when you do that, it becomes a sport of meditation before a sport of competitiveness, the sound of the blade hit in the water, the sound of the, or- the echoes of the orlocks, the fact that there is no spectators that you can, o- there's only one person talking and that's the coxswain and they're saying, sit tall, breathe, you belong here. And, and they're molding you and working with you as you're developing that rhythm. And so what the sport is doing is calming the daily storms that you go through every single day that you don't get from football and basketball and football, you show up and the coach is like knock them dead. And you have all this trauma and people actually are, are, are fighting and it triggers the trauma that you had growing up. Basketball is such a trash talking sport. And you hear things that like, suck or you garbage and you you heard those things growing up as a kid and you get upset and it triggered the trauma but the fact that this sport is non-combative and non-conflict it truly truly um, becomes a ritual
1: everything you just said you know, at such a granular level about like the way, you know, when you feather the blade and when the oar hits the water, just way enough. I hadn't heard, I had not heard that term in years. And I almost (laughs) forgot about it until you just said it. And it really immediately transported me back to like my experience on the Harlem river. And I think that's, what's so special about the sport is that there's like a universal thing that like every rower I think can relate to around that sense of meditation on the water But it also can impact each individual's life so differently. So, you know, I was fortunate to not have those inner traumas growing up. And so I, it's not like I came to the water needing to calm that part of my nervous system. But even not, you know, growing up in that kind of environment, there was still the chaos of school and stress, and there was still a lot going on in high school. And I just remember distinctly being on the water was the only place where you could, it was like an escapism where you could just get rid of all that noise and stress and everything that's happening in your day, and you can just be present. And there's something so beautiful about the water itself. Like when it's still and very glossy and you can like really cut the blade right into the water, it's it's so pristine. And I love, you know, you your comment about the rhythm and the unity because rowing to me is a very like melodic sport. It's like invisibly melodic, and if you if you're a rower, you get it because you know the sound of when everyone like feathers at the same time and pulls in the blade. Like you you can, it's like a sixth sense, and I think that that's where like that rhythm and melody kind of lies uh, in like an invisible way, and it's it's so beautiful um, and and calming, and I think we we constantly are always in overdrive no matter like the trauma that you've experienced in your life, especially if you've experienced really severe trauma growing up. And so we need something to kind of bring us back into our, our rest and digest part of our nervous system.
0: That's super important. And I think if you can use, and I think that's what, you know, that was great with our coaches. If, you know, you can use the sport, not just as a sport to compete, but for true wellness, and you can do that with a lot of sports. Like we, Will use it as wellness first before you start to compete. Uh, you will be a, not only a, a better athlete but a better person.
1: Absolutely. Earlier, you mentioned that when you were all in the boat together, you realized when you were coming into dock, you all had a. a you, there was a sense of accountability for everyone. Like you had to rely on each other to be in sync, to make sure you didn't capsize, to make sure you were steering the boat in the proper direction. And I'm wondering, you know, how did that sense of creating the team on the water and on the ERG translate into actually building stronger relationships. Cause I can imagine when you grow up in a neighborhood like the West side of Chicago, where it's very violent and there's gangs and there's constant, you know, uh, combativeness between two groups, there's a feeling of, you know, unsafety and uncertainty and just aggression. And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering how maybe that's that cultivation of team building, uh, you know, that team building mentality, brought maybe a greater sense of like empathy or compassion towards other people, like off the water and in your, in your life?
0: Yeah. Great question. There's a few things. I think, um, I think number one, you know, you learn that uh, in, in the sport that um, you can't do the work of eight, you need eight to do the work and you'll get there much faster. Right. And so just number one, relying on someone to get to the other side of, of where you, where you want to go. And I think that was a big part of it, but also, you know, I always tell young kids, if I can go back and tell 13 year old Arshay anything, it would be that you don't have to fight alone. Your anxiety, depression, stress, doubts, fears that, you don't have to go through it by yourself. And and that's something that we all did individually um, because trust just wasn't there growing up in a place like the West side of Chicago or in a school where everyone mostly about themselves for certain reasons or, um, you know, talk about you behind your back. So you learn to just be a loner. And so, but Rowan teaches you that, Hey, you, you, you can, you can get through anything, but you can't do it by yourself. And to break that cycle, you have to come together as one. And so that first lesson alone, that wasn't really taught by anyone but the sport, but the boat, really got us to understand, okay, uh, we, we not only need chemistry in the boat, but outside of the boat. And the way we were able to do that first was at those regattas like we still didn't really get along in our first race but the fact that we were the only ones that looked like us when we traveled even if we didn't like each other when I'm walking to use the the restaurant I'm like Alvin you need to come with me because we're not used to being in this space navigating through white spaces and so on that walk we began to ask each other questions like how do you feel here or what it was like for you growing up uh, how do you like it? What keeps you up at night? What keeps you going? And that's when the brotherhood kind of started between all of us. And so that was the beauty of this sport that you have those long van rides where you're forced to get a chance to know each other. But also being, again, like being isolated helped us become one. Just like you think about soldiers many, many years ago in the 1900s when... Blacks and whites didn't connect at all, and then you would send these soldiers to war, and they would fight for each other and build this brotherhood because they was away from all the structural problems that America has placed upon us. Um, and, and when you're isolated and you're fighting for each other and you have a common goal, you become one. Like it's bigger than you now. And for us, it. Became bigger than sports. And we were forced to forget about what was happening at Manly, what was happening on the west side of Chicago. And we just was living in the moment and we had one common goal. And we said, listen, when we get out here, we're going to pull for each other. It's about us. We are the only ones out here. Our mother's not here. Our homeboys are not here. It's us. And so that's when the relationship began so again it was the lessons from the boat and it was being isolated being the only ones that looked like us out there and um and 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 we understood too that you know if someone doesn't show up you know you know the the boat the boat doesn't go out because it wasn't a lot of us and so you saw in the film that one of the things i was able to do is i start showing up at everyone's house and like we're going to school together. Like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And so we learned to uh, we learn that that the whole eight doesn't move forward, you know, uh, alone. And so that was kind of uh, how we were able to build our bond.
1: It reminds me kind of of Rony York's like slogan or motto, like pulling together to push ahead. And I think that's such a very like beautifully succinct way to describe rowing. You are all, you know, if you're in an eight-person boat, you are all each and every one of you, eight of you, are pulling. The, or you are physically, you know, powering the boat so that it can move ahead, and you can't slack off. You have to each, you know, put in equal amounts of effort, and that's how it, the, you know, the boat actually can propel itself. I love how there's there's that sense of accountability outside of the shell. Like how you mentioned, you'd go to people's houses and you'd say, "All right, we're going to school together." Like it fosters this really strong bond outside of just being on the water or being on the erg or in the tanks. And I think, you know, that's, you know, just, you're, you're looking out for people at the end of the day and you're doing it out of a place of, of softness and kindness rather than like aggression or, you know, um, maybe if like you're in a gang and you have to like protect the other people in your gang, it's more out of like violence and aggression. But here, this is an act, an act out of, more kindness and actual compassion and and coming together towards like a common goal and motivation. And I think that's, you know, another really amazing thing that the sport probably also provided you. I know this was like the first all black, uh, you know, high school rowing team. And that's kind of when you started the sport. But you guys all got together again down the line. And, you know, when you were filming this documentary, you met with like an Olympic trainer and you got to like reconnect. Can you share a little bit about that experience, what it was like to kind of come back and start training again?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that was pretty cool. So I think, you know, when the documentary started, the idea was like, hey, let's just tell the history of our team, what it was like growing up in Chicago in the 90s and how we got into the sport and and what the sport has done for us. And and I said, you know what? the Chicago sprints was the first race that we lost when we ran into that brick wall. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's coming this summer. And I was like, guys, I know, you know, I know we, you know, we, we're a little up there in age, but I think, uh, I think we should race. I think we should, we should compete for our city and also think that, you know, there's a lot of, young people and people on the West side of Chicago who have heard this story or read the book, but never saw it, but never saw anyone who looked like them in a shell. And so I, you know, my challenge to the guys was like, Hey, let's, let's, you know, get the Olympic coach involved and, and let's, let's do it one more time and get out there on the water and row for Chicago. Let's do it right. And let's win. And so um, they was all about it. And it, it was, it, it, it was awesome. We met at Preston's Barbershop, and we lost – one of our coaches had a heart attack, uh, Michael Gorman, so that was one of the things that kind of brung us all together, kind of reflecting on on, on, on him and the man he was and, 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 and the bun we all created back in the 90s. But um, it, was, um, it, w- it was great to be able to go out there again and, and feel like a kid again and, and build that relationship with the water and with the sport. And, and and like you said, it's been a long time since you heard Way Enough. And I remember going back out there and hearing it again, it was like, it just brought back that feeling and, and those faces and, and, those, and those, you know, those memories of, of, of just being out there.
1: It's a very vivid, like, experience to have again when you're back on the water. I mean, I haven't been back in a boat in years, but every time I pass by the Harlem River, it like... I am so vividly reminded of what it felt like to just be out on the water and to be with, you know, my teammates and have that experience. So I can only imagine like what it was like more recently to get together and and kind of like replicate that feeling, but between, you know, when that high school rowing team started and then all coming back together to to row again and compete and create this documentary, what were you up to, you know, in that, like, negative space and between those two parts on the timeline?
0: Yeah, I was – you know, I went to – I did uh, two years at AmeriCorps, and I went to Le Cordon Bleu. In high school, I was all about being a chef. That was, like, my dream. So I went to Le Cordon Bleu um, and, and then went to Le Cordon Bleu in England and then came back and worked at a really cool French restaurant. And then I um, – my friend – Alvin, who was on my team, he was, you know, he was telling me about a, um, a job and and uh, working. It was a dream job, working with WWE wrestling, traveling as a personal chef. And so um, i done that. I worked in, I worked for Warner Brothers as a food stylist, moved to New York. Food brought me to New York. And then um, I became a culinary instructor. I found myself working with young kids, teaching them how to cook healthy food and um and encountered a lot of young people who grew up like I did. And these young kids had a lot of questions, like, you know, how do I grow up here without a mother, without a father, or can barely eat, or can barely reach my dreams because of the daily problems I go through every day and, and be successful? Like, like you did it, how do I do it, right? And I was fortunate to be able to help I mentor some of these young people, but I felt like there was so much more to my story that can reach a number of people, not even just people who look like me, like anyone who ever struggled. Like pain is pain, right? And how, as a young person, how do you manage that? How do you, uh, I, use, I always use, uh, how do you uh, recover from craps, right? Crabs come to stop you from moving forward. And most of the time it's unexpected. And, and those things happen as a teenager. Like there's things that come in your life that, 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 that's unexpected, that stops you from moving forward. And one of the things you have to do is not let it knock you out of the boat. And how do you successfully do that? And I wanted to tell that story to the world. And I wanted, you know, I wanted people to unlearn all the things that they have learned about people who grew up on the West side of Chicago, Right? I wanted to show the world what happens when a group of people, no matter where they're from, the color of their skin, get together and give their time, talent, and treasure and access to a sport uh, that people normally won't have access to. What happens if you decide to go after it and give access and opportunity? And, and so I started writing. And... Um, I wrote this book, and uh, well, I started off with a chapter and an outline, and and I pitched this book to—I mean—nine editors, agents, and they all said no. It's, you know, they was like, "Did you win go a gold medal?" Blah blah blah, and 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 everyone said no, like they felt like it wasn't good enough, or you, oh, you're, you're you know, you, you don't have a writing background, you're not a writer, and you know, Rowan teaches you to go after it, right? Just keep. Going for it. I just kept writing, and, um, and I wanted people to understand that um, winning a meadow is great, but it's not everything. We lived on the west side of Chicago, and for so long, Chicago has been trying to solve how do we get these guys from different neighborhoods to become a brotherhood? And Rowan solved that. Like, that was a win to culturally overcome the fear of water was a win. To be committed to a sport that was so foreign. When you show up every day at the boathouse, because we shared it with three private schools, and it didn't feel like your home. When it wasn't warm and welcoming. When the photos didn't reflect the kids from the west side that they was trying to put in the seats. But we stuck it out and we fought through it and and, and created a lot of success. Like. Those were wins, and so I wanted to show the world what wins looked like and so, um the book came out and, and 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 here I am
1: I think this is a great transition into talking more about the you know inclusion fund because I think that's just such a it's just it's so amazing that you've been able to kind of pay it forward through this inclusion fund and and i I think what you're doing is just so inspiring because. You've clearly really had, you know, the, this blessing to have this experience. And it's really helped you grow as a person and move past some of the, you know, situations that you were kind of, you know, you were you were raised in that you couldn't get out of. And you were able to kind of eventually get out of that. And now I think it's really amazing that from taking the lessons of rowing and through writing this book and through, um, you know, working, you know, your time in, in, in culinary and, and being a chef and, you know, working with children. I think, you know, all those experiences are just so indicative of you wanting to give back to your, the community. And I think the scholar, the, you know, the inclusion fund is just such a, a, a shining example of that. So you, I'd love for you to talk more about, you know, the purpose behind the fund and, and what you're doing with that right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll talk about that. You know, it was something I always wanted to do and, and also to just to use my life to give back to the, the place they gave to me and to the sport they gave to me. And, um, you know, there's two things that that's important, I think, and lessons you can take away from the sport. The first thing is there are no cheerleaders. There are no busloads of fans there are no pep rallies, there are no million dollar contracts after college, right? There's no ESPN rower of the week. But what you will find is a group of people who will show up every day with no agenda, it's not about popularity, it's not about being on TV, but they show up, they rip apart their hands, they break their backs for themselves, and the person who sits in front of them and the person who sits behind them. And that was the kind of people that I needed in my life. Those were the kind of friendships that that I feel like every young person need. That is it's really about you and that person. And that's why these bonds and these relationships in this sport last forever. Because you are sitting with someone and you are willing to go through the same pain with them. And, and, um, and so I think there's a lot of joy and friendship in that. And for me, it's like, man, if, if there's a really great restaurant that I love, I'm going to tell everybody about it. If they was giving out free cash somewhere, I'm going to tell everyone about it, right? And if there's college opportunities, an opportunity to meet friends and learn how to swim, and build like this spiritual life in sports, why not tell people about it, right? And so that's how I see the fun. That's how I see this foundation that there's kids out there that all they see is concrete and dirt. Why not take them to where there's grass and water? That is everything. And I think the second thing is the lesson I've learned that was just the most important lesson I learned in rowing is that I, when I walk into the boathouse, we were taught to leave it better than we found it, right?
1: So true. I totally remember that. And you had to, you know, you had to carry the boats. And if you knocked a rigger, it was, you were getting punished for that. You always had to be, you had to treat it with respect.
0: Yeah. and And I was like, okay, coach, I understand that, you know, I can leave it like I found it, but I have to leave it better than I found it. What if I didn't make the mess? And it was like, yeah, even if you make the mess, why? Why do you have to do that? Because you know, you not only have to respect this equipment, but it makes it easier for the next group that's coming, right? And, and we benefit from the bullhouse. And what I've learned from that every single day is like, okay, this is all the great things that happens and last forever in a sustainable if I can leave this bullhouse house better than I found it. Now, if I can leave my team, my friendships, my relationships, my, my school, my community, my country, if I can leave it better than I found it, even if I didn't make the mess, it makes it easier for the next generation. And we benefit in, in some way, right? And and and, and and I just want the world, I want the sport to be better because I'm here. And now if we can embrace that, it's so much better because there's people out there to say, oh, I had nothing to do with slavery. Why do I have to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but if you can leave it better than you found it, trust me, it makes it easier. It makes everything better. And so if we were able to embrace that in the boat, in the bow house and outside of the bow house, I think it makes the world a better place. So I felt like it was my responsibility to leave this sport better than I found it. And, um, and, and, to create opportunities that, that, that makes a lasting impact on people's lives. And so, um, i got together again, a, a really great, uh, team of Olympians, who are more board members and I created the most, the uh, be- most beautiful thing inclusion fund. And, and it's really to go into bow houses and support, um, Uh, programs that really don't have the capital to thrive or to compete, right? There's so many programs out there with athletes of color, um, but they have very old boats and novice coaches and less days to practice and they go to a race and they lose and people are like, oh, that team sucks. No, it don't suck, right? Uh, They just don't have the proper tools to compete. But when you give them the proper tools, um, I think we will see more... Uh, representation on the college level when you have a coach who can really teach you how to move about uh, and, and, and get the earth scores that you want. And, and, and you may not be fortunate enough to go to a school that um, that is considered that great. But if we can have some extra support around um, academics and college success, we will see more representation on the college level. And not to say that everyone who looks like me grew up like I did. But, um, and, and, and so, we had while we had a lot of athletes of color in this sport who quit, it was one of the, one things that a lot of people don't talk about, it was, it has been a cultural issue as well for a long time. You know, there's a lot of people who are not only the only person of color on their team, they are interacting with 90% of those kids who never even interacted with someone of color. And you write Black Lives Matter on your Instagram, you show up and everyone's upset about it. You can't make the boat move fast because now you feel like this is not your team. And maybe they upset because you said that. And the coach don't know how to address it because they don't have the experience, right? And so it becomes a cultural issue. And that's something that um, the fund also helped with is training, DEI training, anti-racism training, youth development training. And. Uh, and how to make your bullhouse house warm and welcoming and a competitive and joyous environment.
1: I think that's so important. And, you know, I mean, my high school rowing team, Row New York, was, you know, the, the foundations behind Row New York were to combine academic, you know, success opportunities with, you know, through the sport and through the rigorous practice of rowing for, you know, underserved communities in New York City. And, I like, you know, throughout my time with Roe, New York, it was really amazing to get to see the kinds of successes that this program could give it to, to students and to, you know, give them opportunities, you know, to get into college and to go to college and to row in college. And even if they chose to not row, just to even have the opportunity to get that higher education and to have that academic support as part of the, you know, the curriculum and the programming. And it's, I think that's what made Roe, New York so much more than just a boathouse so much more than just a crew team it was this really strong community and you know at the time i don't think i fully recognized the impact of that and now as i reflect on that experience i'm so fortunate to have been in that community and a part of that community because it really opened up my eyes to all the impactful work that row new york was doing then and is continuing to do and you know especially it's, it seems like it's very much in alignment with everything that the inclusion fund is doing as well. And it's, it's like, you know, very gratifying to see, uh, these, these changes blossom and actually come into, into practice and into play and really benefiting these people's lives. It's really a special, um, a most beautiful thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. No, you're right. And I think that the beauty of New York, it wasn't just serving kids of color, right? And um, it was, you know, young kids from everywhere, right? And, you know, I do a lot of corporate speeches. And in these corporate speeches, you have a lot of white men, (laughs) some people of color, some women. And especially after the murder of George Floyd, when i'm speaking to these groups there's a lot of questions simple questions like how do i have uncomfortable conversations or how do i ask someone how they feel and how do we learn and unlearn and, and these are the same and these are from ivy league professional people and but they have the same questions that high school kids who are in the boathouse who are mostly white boys with some girls in some kids of color, they have the same question. And what that tells me is that for these old, this older generation, they never really had these conversations or there had never been organizations in place for them to interact with each other. They always been segregated. And so, it's, so I think it's very important to create sports um, that has a representation of your city, everybody you know, and not just have them, them practicing, but be really intentional about having conversations and learning from each other about gender, race, you know, all identity, all kinds of things. Because if, if not, you just grow up, we grow up in the same world that we're dealing with now and nothing changes. So I think it's important to not only roll together, when you have a representation of your city in the boat, but also, and that's what I'm, that's was the most important piece of our team is that the chemistry didn't happen inside the boat. The chemistry happened outside of the boat, which gave us better chemistry inside the boat. And how do you do that? Really having conversations and getting to know each other outside of the boat. And, um, and I think that, that will solve a lot of issues in our world if we can understand each other at an early age.
1: Yeah. Having the courage to have those uncomfortable conversations and approaching them with, you know, a sense of empathy and compassion and like an active listening rather than coming to snap judgments or, um, you know, feeling the need to argue or prove your point. And I think it's to what you said earlier about like, having that ability to unlearn. It's so powerful. I recently read this book by Adam Grant called Think Again and it's all about the power of unlearning and you know his argument is to challenge us to actively rethink our beliefs and because there's so much power to rethinking and unlearning just deeply ingrained and rooted p- patterns of behavior and thought that we have. And especially with topics related to diversity and inclusion and in the sport of rowing and, and intersectionality, I think there's still so much work to be done. But I like that there's the starting point, like you're saying, is just really recognizing, you know, how can you unlearn these, these biases or, you know, how can you unlearn these ways of thought that already kind of like exist in your head to but foster that stronger bond outside of the boathouse to then bring into the sport. And I think that's like super key. And um, I, I love that you pointed that out.
0: Yeah, no, that's it's just great. And I think the sport Rowan teaches us that you cannot accomplish anything comfortable. You've been on that erg and you've been in that boat. (laughs) It's
1: very – I mean, I remember I'd walk into the boathouse with my heart like pounding every day because I was like, what's the practice going to be today? It was like anxiety invoking.
0: Yeah. And to get the scores you want, you are uncomfortable the whole time. And I think to get the results that we want, like we have to have uncomfortable conversations, like to get the results that we want. And, and, And that, again, in a way that it's not calling people out, but it's calling them in. Right. And, you know, and like, you know, I, that's was one of the reasons why I invited the cops out to rail. I was like, okay, I'm not going to call them out. I'm going to call them in and they're going to learn who we are and we're going to bring them to a sport that brought us together. And what they would tell you that they learned is that wait, Alva didn't grow up making bad choices, but challenging choices to survive. Like they realized that, you know what I mean? That what it was like to be us and grow up in a place that had its fair share of structural limitations, that everything that's going on in this community is a result of redlining and segregation and a lack of access, the lack of opportunities, right? But the only way for them to learn was for me to call them in and, 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 um, and have those courageous and uncomfortable conversations, and we was able to get the results that we want. Wanted. I'm
1: so glad you brought that up cuz I was going to I wanted to ask you about and that was one of my favorite scenes was when you your team was you you brought the Chicago Police Department to come and like race in a shell with you guys. I mean, what is like more polar opposite and then like bringing those two communities together. I thought it was so beautiful and uh you know, definitely probably a very eye-opening experience for those police officers realizing you know, it's not about making bad choices, it's challenging choices. And it's like, well, when you're in a certain situation or circumstance, you have to, if you're in like a constant survival mode or mechanism, it's not like you're going to have one good and one bad choice. <laughs> There's not, they're not going to be desirable choices. And you ha- you have to figure out what feels the most right in that moment. And a lot of people, I think, uh, you know, make snap judgments or, I guess it's to the point of like, you know, well, you have to walk in someone's shoes to really understand their experience. And especially when you're dealing with the police department, and especially now in recent years that have been, you know, more publicized around police brutality, I think it's, it's more, you know, at the forefront of people's minds now around like the realities of that. And um, I just, I thought that was such a powerful scene in the documentary.
0: Well, thanks. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah. It was really incredible and, you know, there's clearly so many lessons that uh, rowing can can offer everyone and you've so eloquently described so many of them today to me and my listeners during this episode. So thank you so much, Arshay, for coming onto the podcast to share your experience, talk about a most beautiful thing. I now must read the book, <laughs> but I I would also absolutely recommend the documentary because it's great. I watch it on Peacock. Um, but one final question that I have before I wrap up this interview is something that I ask every guest that comes on to the podcast. What is something that brings you a bit of endorphins?
0: Yeah, I mean, chocolate. No. Um, <laughs> me too. <yeah. laughs> me too. <laughs> You know, I think I have to say anything with, with rhythm, and music, dance, rowing, right? Um, just anything that has to do with rhythm. I make sure that I I throw myself in that because those things that involves rhythm and many other things have been proven to to solve um, to bring endorphins. I think, but also to 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 solve many personal things that that you go through in your life. And so I think if you can find what that is and, and, and wrap yourself in, in that rhythm, uh, it, it, it definitely leads you to being um, uh, that person uh, that that wants to be made whole in, 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 in any way.
1: That's a really beautiful answer. I totally agree. There's something so powerful about music, for example. And, and, uh, you know, I came from a very music oriented background, but before rowing, I used to sing and I used to dance ballet and I did, vi- I played the violin for many, many years. And the best feelings that I ever had, like playing violin, for example, was when I didn't think actively about what I was doing, like things just flowed and it clicked. And you're in that sense of like that flow, like state of mind. And, everything's just kind of synchronously like coming together and it's so beautiful and it's like almost effortless and something that I started to find with rowing in particular, because it's so rhythmic, I was getting that same sense of flow from the sport. And I think it was because of how melodical it felt, Uh, you know, like the most minute Mm -hmm. details, if you were really paying attention to everything that was happening. And I think there's such a strong connection between two things that may seem so, um, separate you know, violin versus no. a sport, like the music versus sport, that seems very different. But at the end of the day, it's, they're very similar. And so I, I really appreciate that answer around rhythm, because I think that's so profound. And um, it's something that's accessible to all of us to bring into our lives day to day to just increase our happiness, you know, just 10% more. Um, so, you know, with that, thank you so much, Arshay. It was really an honor having you on the podcast.
0: No, thank you. Uh, Stella, I appreciate it. Can't wait to uh, spread the word, the news. And uh, um, hopefully uh, I, we can get out on the water this spring, this summer with the Road New York. Yeah, Kids. that
1: would be awesome.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you for listening. And remember to like, rate, and review this podcast on whichever listening platform you prefer. Don't forget to keep spreading endorphins and find things that bring you endorphins every day. See you next time.